Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 42 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm still a horror writer and an occasional <laughs> doer of musical things. And I'm still Andy Stewart. How are you, man? I'm very well, thank you, Mitch. How the hell are you? I am very good. It has been an eventful few days. Yeah, feeling tired? Yeah, a little bit, although little I am bit. still proudly sporting my Camp Arawak shirt. <laughs> has it been off? Because you had it on last time I saw you. <laughs> yeah, no, I gave it a break on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you came along with the live show, you'll know what the significance of that uh but yeah big thank you to everyone that came down on thursday night yeah we had an absolute blast massive massive thanks to john mcphail director of anna and the apocalypse for joining us again yeah uh this time to talk sleepaway camp and massive thanks as well to the guys from arrow video for all the swag and for the last minute lots of chaos posters yeah um, on really, that really nice. by the way we still have some of those, so if you want, hit us up and we'll try and get them along to you. Yeah, we'll try and sort those out. Big thank you as well to uh, Paul and Greg from Frightfest. Oh yeah, massive thanks to the guys. Um, we were massively supportive for the whole thing, which was great. And also a big thank you as well to uh, the guys at McFabs, who were great. Yeah, yeah they were excellent. Absolutely spawn. Couldn't do enough for us. So outside of uh, those events, have you been watching anything this week? To be honest, no, I haven't. Well, I kind of got you covered on that one because yeah, I've seen a I was, lot of stuff. I thought that you might be able to cover me. I have seen one thing, and I know you've also seen it. Yeah, I think we should maybe save that. Yeah, um, yeah. because um, so this week I caught a couple of things before Fright Fest. I caught a couple of things at the Glasgow Film Festival that I want to touch on quickly. Okay. So I saw a, th- a kind of chamber piece thing by a first-time director, Henry Dunham. Right. Uh, the film was Standoff at Sparrow Creek, and uh, basically what you've got here is um, this bunch of guys who are in a kind of underground militia, and in the aftermath of um, a mass shooting at a police funeral, these guys congregate in a kind of underground bunker, um, and they realise that a weapon, like an AR-15, which was the weapon used in the shooting, is missing from their armoury. Uh, they were the only guys who had access to it. That's apparently a weapon that's very hard to get hold of. Basically, the idea is that they're all there. One of them did it. Right. And it's about um, the kind of main character who's played by James Badge Dale, who's absolutely brilliant in it. Just trying to figure out who that is. Okay. It plays out like a play, like a kind of David Mamet thing. It's very talky. Right, okay. It's uh-huh. really, really good. Um, I recommend that a lot. Also, caught Under the Silver Lake. Ah, yeah. David Robert Mitchell's new film. Yes. Uh, so, the follow-up to It Follows. Yeah. Um, which it could not be less like It Follows. <laughs> In the same way that It Follows couldn't be any less like The Myth of the American Sleepover, his first film. It's mm-hmm. like it's just a complete departure again. It's this uh, two hour and 20 minute like Mulholland Drive style kind of mystery thriller comedy thing <laughs> helmed by uh, Andrew Garfield and Riley Keough. Okay, right, okay. Um, this is dividing opinion. I can understand why. Right. Um, I personally thought it was great. I think that the David Lynch comparisons are going to be plentiful and legitimate <laughs> um, but I don't think it's, it's not to the film's detriment I would say that one thing and it's difficult to denigrate it too much for this because he's great in it but um, I was already getting a bit of a Twin Peaks vibe and a bit of a Mulholland Drive vibe from it and then uh, Patrick Fischler who's obviously in both of those mm-hmm. is in this 
You also messaged me to let me know that uh, you see Andrew Garfield's ass a fair amount. Quite a lot. <laughs> so if that's something that gets your, uh, your plums pumping, then get yourself out and check out Under the Silver Lake. Your plums pumping. There you go. What I would say is, I think, I, like I say, I think that people are going to say this is too long. People are going to say it's too off the wall. It's too unfocused and stuff like that. For me, I got into it pretty much straight away. Okay. And uh, I was just like, once I kind of knew what I was getting myself in for, I was quite happy to just kind of sit back and just kind of let it unfold. Uh, so yeah, it's out over here pretty soon, I think. But I'd recommend getting on it. It's worth seeing just to have an opinion. It's just strange, and it's one. It's one of my favorite films of the year. I, cool. I, I thought it was great. It was one. It's one I've wanted to see for a while since I first kind of heard about it. Aye, it's been pushed back a couple of times. I think it was originally supposed to be out around about June last year. I then got nudged to December, and then here we are now, obviously, and it's still not out. So the but, best part of a year, I realistically, before it's out. Yeah, by the time it sees a later date over here, yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, I'd recommend getting on it. I'd be really curious to know what people think of it because it's a, it's an interesting wee film. Yeah, I didn't. Even know you it was on until you told me after the fact i just i found out about an hour before i went <laughs> i just kind of i just like just looked to see what was on at the film festival that day and spotted it and i was like oh shit and then i just adjusted my entire day to go see it <laughs> uh no I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that a lot obviously uh the crux or like the, the bulk of what i've been watching this week was at fright fest glasgow yeah um, yeah and on the whole how would you say the festival was i think lineup this year was okay i think that um it probably overall was a little bit less of a peaks and troughs affair than it, than it is sometimes right i would say that it kind of like it mostly leveled out at being decent um with a couple of exceptions in either direction <laughs> right okay. um so I'll talk about my three favourites first, and then I'll talk about one that I liked less. Okay, no problem. Yeah. So one that I think is worth a mention is Here Comes Hell. Right, okay. Which yeah. uh, screened on Friday and is uh, directed by Jack McHenry, and it's co-written by him and uh, Alice Sidgwick. And the IMDb synopsis for this is a 1930s dinner party descends into carnage, gore, and demonic possession, and Here Comes Hell, a genre-clashing horror comedy. I thought this was really, really good. Yeah, I saw a lot of people being really effusively up on this one. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I think that, for me, the first half works better than the second half, but it's all pretty strong. Okay. Um, the kind of the setup's really strong. You've got these people kind of congregating at this kind of dilapidated house that this kind of rich kid that's inherited a bunch of stuff has just bought this bought this place mm-hmm. with a kind of checkered history for loads of reasons and all of the setup stuff is really really entertaining the whole thing is like it looks great it's very very funny later on like i say it goes kind of down this kind of demonic possession route which is still pretty effective it gets it's quite cgi heavy towards the end and there was and uh, jack in the q a said that there was no budget for that so he basically did it himself through uh like youtube tutorials and stuff like that all right okay and (laughs) genuinely i mean like i think that it's the kind of thing that I'd be quite quick to jump on films being overly reliant on CGI and stuff like that towards the end of things when you've built something that isn't really rooted in that. But knowing that and with the kind of the feel of the film already, I think that there, it kind of adds to the charm in a way. Right. So I had a lot of time for it and I thought it was just worth giving it a little bit of air time because it's uh, kind of a uh, like micro-budget British thing and I think it's worth checking out. I'm not entirely sure what the release, inf- like, what the release details are for that yet. But I believe that there is one coming. All right, okay, cool. I'll keep my eye out for that because yeah. it was certainly one of the, the films that jumped out at me the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's, it's really good. I also really liked uh, The Rusalka. But I've seen some people say this is now their favourite film of the year so far. Uh, yeah, um, a couple of people have been saying that. So this is the new film from Perry Blackshear who directed 2015, I believe, uh, They Look Like People. Yeah. Which uh, I 
is apparently now actually finally getting a release over here. Okay. So people get about apparently... Yeah, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago and you, you weren't sure what the situation was. Um, yeah, I've been hearing on the grapevine over the weekend that apparently They Look Like People is um is seeing the light of day in the UK scene, which I personally am really excited about because I haven't seen it in four years and I love it. Right. But yeah, it, it was great. And um, this talk is pretty different from it, but like uh, you basically, got, you've got this guy who uh, goes rents a house by a lake mm-hmm. and the character's mute. Right. Um, and... It's kind of uh, so. This when this comes out is going to be retitled the Siren. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically, yeah, it's, he, it's about his kind of encounter with this kind of mysterious creature resembling a woman who is mm-hmm. kind of swimming around the lake and things, and how that kind of develops over time. And also his interactions with like this, and it's just also about his interactions with this other character who lives nearby. And you kind of learn a little bit about him too as it proceeds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting film. Really, really liked it. The the entire feel of the thing is very tranquil. Uh, so when it goes darker, it kind of jars the way it's supposed to. Right. Yeah, I had a lot of time for this. I probably on first impression preferred they look like people, but that's not a criticism because I love that film so much. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that for him, it's probably in terms of like the scale of filmmaking and stuff like that, it still feels like one of his, but it's obviously like a marked upscale in terms of uh, budget, production value, and so on. So yeah, no, it's really good. The the Rasalka slash the Siren. Yes. Good film. Um, my personal favourite of the weekend was one that you also uh, swung by for. I did indeed. I think I know where this is going. Yeah, so once we were done at McFab's on Thursday night, we um, finished our pints and headed up the road. We Tom also Tom. had changed out of our shorts. Yeah, we changed out <laughs> of our camp counsellor uniforms um, and headed up to the GFT in time for the nine o'clock showing of Jonas Eckerland's Lords of Chaos. Fuck me. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. Me too. I've been quite vocal about that. Yeah, I think yeah, I think we both have. Um, so the story of mayhem and Burzum. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, those worlds colliding in increasingly disgusting ways. Yeah, I uh, I absolutely loved Lords of Chaos. I, I thought, thought it was, was fucking amazing. Yeah, I thought amazing. it was fantastic. Uh, worth mentioning, though, there was an incident that kind of held up the film a little bit for about 20 minutes in the middle. Someone fell ill. I think there was maybe a seizure or something on the go. Uh, yeah, I think it was like a fainting or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, apparently the, the, the dude's absolutely fine, um, which is great. But after the delay, we did kind of pick back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I can kind of see that the scene where the incident happened was pretty fucking rough. Yeah, I, got, um, I think that if something in the film was going to provoke that kind of reaction, I can understand why it would be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I only know an outline of the story this is based on. Right, okay. Uh, I've got the book, Lords of Chaos, somewhere if you want it. That would be great, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought that. Um, I thought Rory Culkin was brilliant in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, everyone was great. I think the film did a really good job of balancing the fact that what these people did was reprehensible and awful, mm-hmm. but also never let you forget the fact that these were all preposterous things they were doing in names of stakes that they completely created on their own terms. It's not even just that. It's quite clear the whole way through that Oyston Arseth, Euronymous, or Varg Vikernes, these guys were fucking geeks, man. They were absolute fucking dorks. Yep. They just pushed this shit way too far. But the film never really lets you forget that they're fucking geeks. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that was a really important thing for it to kind of... Yeah, uh, the, these people are not people that you should be emulating or in any way kind of trying to copy their behaviours because they were fucking morons. Aye, and I think that's really important to balance that. And I think that it's something that... It's, it's like the film's to be commended for the way that it does that and the way it balances those things. It's it genuinely funny at points. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does. It does. It's, it is especially. I think in the like, the first half hour, forty minutes or so. I think there's a lot of laughs in there too. Yeah, and it's weird watching the film if you know the story, mm-hmm. because uh, Rory Culkin plays Euronymous in it, and he he kind of he's kind of the narrator guiding you through it. Mm-hmm. But the whole time you're like, 
I know how this ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how this ends for you. It's kind of like uh, American Beauty in that regard. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Although the two films could not be more different. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I thought, I, I mean, I thought this was brilliant. I think that the uh, the violence in it is, um, it's like measured, but also unbelievably unflinching and uncomfortable. And I think that... Yeah. Um, Massive doff of the hat to Dan Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Dan did some amazing work in this film. I, absolutely, absolutely astonishing stuff. I think ge- genuinely some of the most kind of uh, harrowing violence I've seen in films in quite some yeah. time. Uh, yeah, Lords of Chaos, absolutely fantastic. It was hands down my favourite film of the weekend. But like, I like, I really like to say, I really like Here Comes Hell, and um, a lot of time for the Rasalka. Also, just want to quickly mention the fact I thought I saw the film Freaks, right? Okay, as well. mm-hmm. thought that was great too, and I uh, also quite enjoyed the closing film, The Horde. Yeah, right. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and that would be, I would say, that would be the ones that I think would be worth kind of sticking with, seeking out. Flip side then. Yeah, I, I can't not mention because I'm, you know, if I if I just come on here and enthuse about the things that I love, then what's the point? <laughs> I do want to. I do want to touch briefly on um. I uh, so the film finale uh, okay. that showed on Saturday, which I out and out really hated. Right. Okay. So basically, what you have here is uh, you've got two people um working in a petrol station in Denmark on the day that Denmark reached oh, the fuck final. Oh, this one? Yeah. Ah, oh, right, okay. I assumed yeah. this would be based on the actual time that the uh, that Denmark got to the final and won the European Championships in 1992. Right. It would appear, judging by the fact that people have new-looking mobile phones and stuff like that, that this is set in the present day at another time when this has hypothetically happened again. Oh, right, okay, um, that's a bit less interesting. So, well, yeah. So what you have here is you've got, you've got two uh, people working kind of a night shift at a petrol station, these two women, and ultimately they and one of them's boyfriend are kidnapped and taken to this kind of warehouse where kind of unpleasant torture stuff happens, <laughs> um, which, we, which we can get to. But, like, um, my problem with this is that you got the setup of them being at the petrol station and that's fine. Okay. And then it cut to them being in the warehouse. And I was like, okay, they've been kidnapped. I, I understand. And then it cut back again to them at the petrol station and you get these long sequences of them understanding that something's not quite right and trying to find a way out of the situation. And I was like, I already know that they don't. I was, like, okay. I was like, why are you making me look at this? Like, the stakes could not be lower. I know that they don't make out with this. unless. And, and I was kind of thinking, I was like, right, unless this weaves something very clever into this, like one of them's complicit or something like that, this is pointless. This is narrative dead weight every second of this that I'm watching. And it didn't do that, and that annoyed me. <laughs> um, this I, was, I had seen some people talking about a film that was quite torture porny. Is this the one? This is the one, yeah. And like, and I think that, like, um, and it was prefaced with this whole, oh, if you feel you need to walk out, then that's fine, and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's content's really graphic and so on. I walked out. Oh! I walked out with 15 minutes left. Um, and it wasn't because I found the content particularly upsetting. I just realised that I had no interest in watching the render of it. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. My problem with it was that uh, once you got to the kind of... Uh, so, uh, for one thing, I'm fed up of this finger-waggy smile for the camera, the internet's watching voyeurism thing. Okay. Like, um, <laughs> right. And the whole kind of, like, turning the light of perception on the audience. Are you complicit in this? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that that, is, that sounded current in 2008, but I also think that there's nothing new to say about that now. Sure. Yeah. And I think that if you're going to make that kind of commentary, then you need to think hard about what you actually have to say. And I don't think this film had anything to say about that. I think it just did it. I'm just going to preface this because my chat's about to get spoilery. But basically, uh, the guy dies instantly. <laughs> Takes about two minutes. He dies with all his clothes on. Okay. I think that this was, this happened solely to insulate the film against criticisms of misogyny. Right. Total token gesture. What happens after that is protracted, overly sexualized, nudity-heavy scenes of violence against the women. Right. And I most of that is largely unnecessary and it's in service to no real story. Got you. 
So I got to about 75 minutes into this 90 minute film and concluded that I was done with it. And I left. Do you know how it wound up? I do have an idea of how it ended and nothing I and nothing seems to have happened in there that would have kind of corrected my opinions on it. Okay. Uh, I maybe will go back at some point and watch the end of it, but um, I hated it. Oh wow! I think right. that I think sure. I, I think okay. that it's all well and good to make films to challenge people and things like that, but when there is nothing going on apart from an inclination to shock, it doesn't interest me. And I left that one. Fair enough, Mitch. Yep. You got to do what you got to do, man. But yeah, of course. Overall, great weekend. Yep. Lovely to see everybody. Like I say, standard of film I thought was like generally like solid. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but like with a couple of exceptions, like, like I say, in Lords of Chaos, I haven't seen many films that like better than that in quite a while. Yeah, and the guys from Arrow are putting out Lords of Chaos as well. Soon as well. It's later this month, isn't it? Is it? I believe so, yeah. Oh, I think, right. I think it's really soon. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Definitely worth your time. But I think that just about concludes my viewing for the week, except... Mitch, what's the shockwave's 100? Now, I hope you'll forgive me for only watching one this week, because obviously we have been pretty busy. You are a fucking slacker. I know, I know, I know. Um, I made time for Hellraiser this week. Ah, okay, cool, good one. Because, yeah, I mean, I've seen it before, and I think that, like, it's always just, like, it's a it's a nice one to make room for and to revisit. That's a great film. Yeah, never right. stops being fun, never stops being fun to revisit. One thing I will will say though and it's something that's always bothered me about Hellraiser as much as I love it I think it loses its way in the last kind of five minutes uh, a little bit with a big kind of dragon skeleton and some of the effects haven't aged particularly well um, yeah I think that's probably true yeah um, in fact that's definitely true <laughs> um, and I think it does take that long to kind of wander away from itself I think it is really that close to the end yeah, but yeah, but it's like it's 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 never not fun. Yeah, and it's, and, it's built up a power of goodwill by that point. I of think. course, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it reminded me, I think, of um uh, last year's Cyloid screens. Obviously, we saw there was I kind of I saw it on the big screen there. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, our pal Nick Vince. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, previous collaborator of your own. Yeah, yeah. He was in my film Remnant. Yeah, yeah. And of course, played the Chatterer in part one and two. Uh, it reminded me of just kind of like having chats with him about that. And all that kind of thing. So yeah, no, uh, Hellraiser, you don't need me to tell you that it's great, but it was really nice to go back to it this week. Excellent. So, what have they been saying? So, a decent amount of the feedback this week, but I've kind of slimmed it down for uh, for one main reason, which was just that um, uh, a lot of it was just people kind of sending us either good luck or positive messages after the live show. Which is lovely. It is lovely, but I think that it would just be a little bit of an ego trip to read them all aloud. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. But I, do, uh, but I do want to take a minute and just say thank you to everybody, either of the people who came along and then kind of made a racket about it afterwards, yeah. about the fact that they had a good time, or even just the people who couldn't, who just sent us messages on the day. Yeah, I, like it was Im- immeasurably gratifying to hear everybody having such a good time during the show and to be so vocal about how good a time they had after the fact yeah. uh, I think it's fair to say that two non-comedians putting on a 90 minute comedy show is a bit of a tall order <laughs> uh, yeah. so uh, thanks very much yeah um, and, and we, if you couldn't make it that we are going to be trying to do more of these yeah we would certainly like to do more and it's something that we're looking into so hopefully if you weren't able to get a ticket for this one there will be other opportunities yeah, what's the space? We do have a couple of things in the works. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, a decent amount of chat this week about Howard the Duck. Um, <laughs> so, a big thank you to Billy a big thank you to Billy Kirkwood for joining us for the Listener Choice episode. And slightly less thanks to Lauren McIntyre for choosing <laughs> Howard the Duck. I feel a little bit trolled. Yeah. <laughs> Same. 
Same. I've I, got my eye on you, McIntyre. <laughs> um, so, do you want to talk about the Howard the Duck stuff first? Yeah, let's get Howard out the way and uh, move on with our lives. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Darren Gaskell getting in touch. Yeah. Um, Darren underscore Gaskell on Twitter, who um, it was nice to uh, catch up with him a little bit this weekend as well, actually. Of course, Darren. Darren made it up to Glasgow. Yeah. He did, yeah. He he, um, he swears to return. Um, <laughs> but he got in touch saying, uh, Great episode, lousy movie. The look of Howard is the stuff of nightmares. Most of the jokes are coated in a layer of filth and the overall effect of the film is akin to being sick in your mouth for 110 minutes. Get the duck out of here. Wow. <laughs> Darren Gaskell, um, being his usual non-committal self. Yeah, yeah. No stranger to strong opinions. No, absolutely not. Uh, no. Uh, okay, Saltire Popcorn on Twitter. Getting in touch to say, the good news is that new Strong Violent PC dropped this morning as usual. The bad news is that At Nodding Goth has made far too many people suffer through Howard the Duck. That film will always ruffle some feathers. <laughs> for fuck's sake. As if we weren't over duck puns by now. I know. There's another one for you. I was at my tipping point half an hour into the film. Can we please not have any more? Um, Barry Dalgarno on Twitter, at Dalgarno Barry, getting in touch. Thanks, guys. The looks I've been getting on the bus laughing at you guys discussing duck masturbation and mallard tits are a price worth paying for the 90 plus minutes of hilarity I'm currently enjoying. Hashtag, just tell me, do they fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah they pretty much do yeah uh, thanks Barry anything else uh, yeah uh, Panda at Prettiest Duns got in touch to say I feel pretty kink shamed by at Strong Violent PC and their aversion to the idea of seeing Howard T. Duck getting freaky <laughs> um, yeah another fucking banger of an episode otherwise though no more Mr. Nice Duck oh cheers man yeah. um, over to Instagram couple of things uh, Nodding Goth herself oh Laura McIntyre I can't wait for this and mainly because then I won't be the only one to get the theme song stuck in my head for weeks on end yeah and if you don't know the theme song listen to the episode because I put the whole thing at the end that was good of you um, <laughs> and uh, uh, Mark the Davies on Instagram this film is one of my guilty pleasures and I wear it like a badge on my arm so there you go I mean like as it, it, it feels like there is like a subculture of people I think there's a lot of secret Howard fans. So it would appear. Yeah. I, I would quite like to be I'd open to know what people fit, what was a good name for them like believers. Right, okay. You know? I don't know, something that rhymes with fuck that you could turn into duck. Mother duckers. <laughs> Mother duckers. Know, the first thing I I so. yeah. <laughs> um, you got anything else on Howard the Duck? I don't know, but I do have something on Queen of the Damned. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Andre Martins at Callahan got in touch to say, At Strong Violent PC, since my hatred for Queen of the Damned made it to the minisode, I should mention that your podcast made me rewatch the movie. Oh, cool. It's still quite rubbish, but, <laughs> <laughs> but in a surprisingly fun way. Watched it with a group of friends and had a really good time. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm actually of the same kind of mindset. No, I agree. Yeah, um, I'm sure Julie would be thrilled to know that um, <laughs> uh, it's prompted a rewatch and it's won someone over to a certain degree. <laughs> um, going a little bit further back, and um, we do have a comment generally on our Jaws episodes. Oh, right, the, the pair of the Jaws episodes. The pair of them, yeah, Jaws 3 and uh, Jaws 4. So obviously we posited that um, rather than one retconning the other, we uh, suggested the idea that the it's a Jaws multiverse. Sure, yes, Order. yes, of course. Yes. Uh, so Barry again, Barry Delgarno uh, on Twitter, surely the shark multiverse should be dubbed Sliding Jaws. <laughs> Okay, it's a stretch, yeah, but I'm gonna yeah. give him. The, I'm okay. gonna. I'm gonna yeah. give him the point. Right, that's fine. Um, that's just about it for me, I think. Apart from obviously a very specialised brand of feedback. Have you got anything else? <laughs> I don't know. In that case, it is once again time for Mitch's pitches. I'm pitched out at this point. I've you are pitched out, yeah. And uh, for anyone listening who's looking forward to the live episode going live, I suppose. Yeah, that will be the fifteenth of March. Yes, it will be. Yeah, yeah, and it does include. 
alive Mitch's pitch. It does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for anyone who is unfamiliar, of course, Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy's going to send me a message to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title, the tagline, any identifying text. All that will be left will be the central image. We'll put that on all our social media channels as well, so you can take a look at it for yourself. My job will be... Two, describe the image to the best of my ability and give the film a title and a synopsis. We will, of course, be looking for your suggestions as well. Yes. And on that subject, <laughs> last week um, we had Death Ship. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I uh, repurposed as Around the World in 80 Graves. We had a decent whack of listener pitches uh, this week. So sure. we're going to work through a couple of those. I just want to touch on something quickly before we start, though. Saltire Popcorn on Twitter got in touch. He correctly identified it as being Ghost Ship. And, uh, well, that would be incorrect. Oh, yeah, of course. It's Death Ship, isn't it? It is Death Ship. There yeah. is a film called Ghost Ship. Which has is... a very similar cover art. Yeah, and it has Juliana Margulies from ER in it. But yeah, he got in touch and said, uh, saw this and thought George Kennedy and co could have done with it in Death Ship. And it's a link to an Amazon, a book on Amazon uh, called How to Avoid Huge Ships. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many copies of that have been sold Yeah, I'd be fascinated to know that um, So, uh, for listener pitches this week then uh, Mark the Davies on Instagram, quite like this Love Boat, Gopher's Revenge <laughs> uh, Kevin Matthews on Facebook is uh, successfully identifying the film as Death Ship Yes <laughs> Or it could be the poster for a film in which a group of modern Satanists Try to wreak havoc on a world that have ignored their favourite poll outcome in a major public vote Using a selection of Bert I. Gordon movies, some twigs, a toy boat, and the sexual energy of some squirrels fed LSD-laced nuts while forced to listen to Rob Zombie songs, the disgruntled spellcasters create a monstrosity that rises up from the murky waters of Portobello to chomp down on as many innocent non-Satanist types as it can grab. You won't believe your eyes, your heart won't go on, when you see the tide of evil that brings you knots and inverted crosses, the birth of Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> And we did have a couple of people going down this road, actually. The Boaty McBoatface road? Yes, another okay, being a yeah. boss. Right, okay, sure. When Sir Richard Attenborough decided he could no longer use his publicly named boat after several unexplained rescue dinghy rammings, the possessed boat manifested its true nature and went on a nautical killing spree in 2015's The Killtastic Vengeance of Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> now he's about to maim those that voted for his name. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, J- I like that. James Plum piling on simply with the SS lawsuit. <laughs> that was great, actually. Um, Tony Constantino. Oh Lord, okay. Uh, Ron Mince is dead. What? Having sacrificed himself to defeat his evil clone, the deadly explosion from the meatpacking facility sent their burnt-end burglary bodies hundreds of miles <laughs> into the Atlantic Ocean. But the world is not ready to lose the meaty Avenger, I agree. And from the flame-grilled ashes rise the cult of Ron, desperate to bring back the hero of Sandwich. Led by enigmatic high priest Cornelius Bulb... <laughs> The intrepid group of Flatoners set sail to Ron's watery grave to ritually drop the sacred faulty microwave into the ocean and resurrect our hero. But unsurprisingly, the microwave brings back more than they bargained for as it raised the cursed wreckage of the Titanic. Now possessed by the doomed souls of the ill-fated ship's crew and passengers and imbued with the vengeful spirit of evil clone Don Mince... <laughs> 
the Sinister Ocean Liner will turn the seas red in its quest for Ron Tribution. For Ron Mince, depth was only the beginning. <laughs> Ship just got real in the 1989 micro-budget disaster piece, Roger Corman's Flame Minion 5, Titanic Rising. When you see the boat, the bodies will float. <laughs> And finally, Hanny Ray on Twitter. The crew of a fishing vessel are shocked to spy the eerie sight of a mysterious ghost ship, the sight of which is supposed to mark the impending watery doom of any onlooker before appearing to submerge out of sight. Will the Grey Wraith claim its next maritime victim? The Grey Wraith. The Grey Wraith. Oh, right, okay. That's your lot for this week. Ah, holy crap. James Plum. The SS lawsuit. (laughs) Short, sweet, funny. I want to just... Give an honourable mention to Boz again for his tagline work. Very strong again. Yes, now he'll maim those who voted for his name. Yes. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, thanks, but, Boz. Yeah, I, I like the fact you've given it to James Plum this week because we often go for ones that are uh, very elaborate. Mm-hmm. So I think that one that kind of landed a quick joke and scored points for simplicity, I think, is worth recognising. Very much so. So, yeah. what's next? I think you know, and I think uh, you're probably, you should probably be grabbing your phone right around now because it's on the way. Oh, it's here. Oh, okay. This is pretty cool. I like this. Right, so what we have... Background is indiscriminate. Grey to white. Bottom to top. (laughs) Uh, I love the amount of fucking attention you pay to the background. Just take it seriously, man. That's all. So we have a dinner table with a white tablecloth on it and it's surrounded by chairs. Mm -hmm. What appear to be like, kind of like... They kind of look like kind of cast-offs from the Breakfast Club (laughs) uh, sitting around it. Do you want a person-by-person description? As much as possible, yeah, okay, let's do it. Okay, so left to right, sure. we have a girl in jeans and a long baggy white shirt. She's certainly looking pretty chilled out. Yeah, yeah, uh, she's leaning back. Yeah, and the, uh, next to her, we have a Judd Nelson-looking character with a white mask covering the bottom half of his face, but he's wearing a leather jacket with the sleeves rolled up and is wildly gesticulating with both arms. <laughs> he's holding uh, a button knife. Oh, so he is, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's a letter opener. Um, and <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, next to him at the table, we have um, an Anthony Michael Hall alike wearing a football jersey with 88 on it. He looks startled, I would say. Okay. Um, and next to him at the table, I think maybe standing up at the back, you've got um, a kind of a woman with shoulder length hair who again looks pretty cheerful. And standing behind all of them, you've got a guy who um, is wearing a white shirt, a black tie, and an over uh, and then a kind of blazer, and. What is that on his shoulder? But it's, it's something kind of gold-looking that's draped over his shoulder. Oh, oh no, wait, he's holding like a like a like an ice bucket. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, okay, so there's that. Standing at the back on the right-hand side of the image, um, we have again somebody who kind of looks like a stereo- stereotypical eighties movie lady. <laughs> right, okay, that's funny. <laughs> With a uh, black curly hair, um, a guy sitting in front of her holding what appears to be a glass of red wine. Uh, to his left, what appears to be a slightly older-looking woman, uh, with a pink jumper on and um. <laughs> Somebody who I would estimate, if this is the protagonist, would possibly be the Joker in the pack. Because <laughs> uh, he's wearing a vivaciously coloured shirt. He has both feet on the table in a I'm going to sit down and rap with you kids kind of way. And um, a kind of brown, kind of like, uh, kind of multi-80s hairstyle. Standing in front of them and facing them with uh, their back to the viewer, we have a lady in a long pink dress holding a glass of champagne aloft. She's holding a knife in her left hand, which is she's hiding behind her back. And also she has a long ponytail, which is in the shape of a hangman's noose. <laughs> yes, that's covered. Uh, that has covered everything. Just yeah, I, about. <laughs> that's probably the most detailed I've been in a while. Actually, yeah. like, I feel. I feel like that took a really long time. Yeah, yeah. When um, <laughs> we got there. Okay, as ever, I will need a moment. This went down a treat live. <laughs> 
feverishly typing your synopsis here. I'm almost That's there. Fine. Okay, almost cool. There. Okay, uh, I think I'm just about there. Right, okay. Right. As Con- ever, running it together. Right, okay. Cool. Confident? I mean, it's obviously going to be wrong, but yes, I'm confident. All right, okay. So you're not confident that you've hit the nail on the head? <laughs> no, I don't think so, but let's let's just see. I mean, I'm quite curious to know how close I land with this. Sure, fire away then. After spending her time at junior high being mercilessly bullied, Catherine Sinclair makes a deal with a demonic entity and returns from spring break with a new image and a devil-may-care attitude that see her quickly ascend to the top of the social hierarchy at Clarence Beaufort High. <laughs> Assembling her old tormentors at her house for her 18th birthday party, Catherine will enact her bloody revenge in 1985's High School Sucks 2, 18 with a bullet. <laughs> Uh, what year did you say? 85 Oh, you're pretty close Okay Pretty close on, or on the year at least Uh-huh uh, The year is 1986 Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll settle for that The film? Mm-hmm April Fool's Day April Fool's Day, okay Yeah I feel like I should know this, but what's it about? A group of eight college friends gather together at an island mansion belonging to heiress Muffy St. John I said Catherine Sinclair <laughs> Carry on <laughs> To celebrate their final year of school they soon discover that each has a hidden secret from their past which is revealed and soon after they turn up dead. Yet, are they really dead? Or is it just part of some very real and cruel April Fool's jokes? The hostess, Muffy, is the only one who apparently knows what's going on but then again, is it really her doing the killing? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. April Fool's good? Day. Yeah, yeah. It's produced by Frank Mancuso Jr. who did the Friday the 13th films. Got you. Okay, okay, so okay. That's the kind of vibe you're going for here. Hmm. So that concludes Mitch's Pitches for another week. As ever, by now, this image will be everywhere. Yes, yes, it will indeed. So uh, check it out, get pitching. We love it. So not too much left to do besides turn our attentions to this week. Yeah, yeah, and a pretty exciting one this week. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really looking forward to people checking this out. We have joining us this week the host of... The Evolution of Horror. It's Mr. Mike Munzer. Great podcast, lovely guy, and bringing a film that kind of came out around about uh, the time of the post-Scream slashers. Uh-huh. Some may argue it's one of the better ones, some may disagree. Whichever way you come down on it, it's Jamie Blanks' Urban Legend. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this was a really fun discussion. I can't wait for people to hear it. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, so that will, of course, be Friday. And in the meantime, we would love to hear your thoughts on anything you may have heard us talking about today Urban Legend, anything else? All the usual channels. Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can also email Strong Language and Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and whatever you're listening, please, please, please just take a couple of minutes just to drop us a little like or a review or whatever the fuck it is that you do on whichever platform you use just to get us out there a little bit more. We would massively appreciate it. We have been reliably informed that it makes a difference. Apparently it does. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Munster joins us Friday to talk urban legend. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 